You're listening to Further Faster in association with Montaigne, the podcast that asks ultra-athletes, mountaineers, and explorers the why and the how. Hello and welcome to Further Faster in association with Montaigne. So this is the podcast that takes a deeper look into the why and how ultra-athletes, explorers, and mountaineers do what they do. So this month I spoke to Jen Scotney. Now Jen is a remarkable person. She's a human rights lawyer by day and sometimes by night. And it turns out she's an exceptional ultra-runner. She's placed high in the Montaigne Spine Race and the 190-mile Northern Traverse. But probably the most remarkable thing is that she's new to the sport. This is what makes her so interesting. All that learning, all that experience is happening right now. So we learn about new training techniques and diet, about well-being and how that affects the running, how it interacts with a very busy work life too, and how recent changes are making huge differences. But most of all, Jen's effusive demeanour just makes this a really entertaining listen. So you may have noticed also that she's not the first member of the Scotney family to be interviewed on Further Faster. Marcus, her husband, is an ultra-athlete who we spoke to in episode one, which you've got to check out. Um... Also, you may hear from the third member of the family too when the dog says hello about 10 minutes in. I really enjoy the chat. I found it really inspirational. So listen in. Here I am with uh, ultra runner Jen Scottney. We're going to be chatting to Jen uh, about some of the races that she's done and some of, a bit about her training and, and kind of all the other aspects that go along with that. Um, thank you for joining us, Jen. Hello. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so yeah, Jen, so... Tell us a little bit about, we're going to start kind of going back right from the beginning. What, when did you first get into running? What, what was the kind of the, the moment where you just thought, this is what I enjoy? Well, I mean, I grew up in the Peak District um, and I had two, two oldest brothers and sister. And I mean, my memories of childhood is really just scampering around the countryside. Right. So it wasn't any... I mean, I did sports day at school. I was quite good at that. I, and I did do cross country at school as well, which living in the Peak District is more like fell racing, I think. But mm-hmm. I think most of my running was just playing as a child. We just used to run or cycle yeah. as well. I had mountain bike. And um, it was just a way of life rather than an activity that we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the long, hot summers were just, yeah, running over the hill, playing games. I don't really know. Yeah, <laughs> no. And that's probably why I enjoy running so much now because it just reminds me of that carefree days where it kind of takes you back to uh, uh, yeah, carefree days of childhood. Yeah, and maybe that's why I'm not so fussed about pace or anything like that, despite right. um, Marcus, who does my coaching, uh, despite mm-hmm. him being a bit more focused on that. It for yeah. me, it is just that freedom, just being outside, and just I just love it. But I didn't so when I left home and went to university by that point my main sport was football right um, um, didn't know that okay yeah but I think I mean I my whole family loved football it was actually because my dad used to play a lot of football it was my mum that used to take us to watch it either right. what's your team well, I had a season ago at Manchester United as my team because oh, that's wow. where I'm from, <laughs> okay. from. so yeah I have I used to watch it all the time. I used to play it. I've been away to like European matches and things. So it was a big part of my life. And when I went to university, I just immediately joined the football teams there. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's, that was when 
that became the focus. And I, I wouldn't say I was running then. It was only in the context of football matches. <laughs> right. OK. I mean, it's quite it's quite an interesting I mean, they're two very different sports. Obviously, one's very solitary and one's very much more a, a yeah. team game. How, how do you and, and moving from something that is a team game into something that's quite solitary? Do you do you miss that kind of camaraderie of, of football when when you're kind of running across the fells? Not really. I mean, I, I what I miss about football is that I would just sprint and push myself and you're not really thinking about it. And I guess that's what I struggle in in my running is pushing myself to kind of, I tend to take it quite easy, even though I'm running really long distances. I still, when I finish, you kind of just think, yeah, I probably could have done a, have gone a bit faster than. <laughs> Okay. So, <laughs> I remember when I did my first like 40 mile race which was the longest that I'd run and Marcus had finished hours before me and was waiting and so he was like joking do a sprint finish and I, I could and he's like you shouldn't be able to do that <laughs> you should have pushed yourself <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and I kind of that's one thing that I've been looking back at at football you don't think you're chasing I mean I used to play mm -hmm. on the right wing quite a bit and you'd just be running the whole time and sprinting, sure. which now I'm not so good at. But I think, yeah, I mean, I did go back to football when I was trying to get fit again. Um, when I, I'm 36 now, so it probably be when I was about 30. And like most people suddenly realise that you're nowhere near where you used to be in terms mm -hmm. of fitness. So I did join a football team in Sheffield then and, right. and play for a season, which was really good fun. But it is a commitment. I, running is so much easier to fit around my life and my work, whereas football did tend to take up the weekend. Right. Fair enough. And I mean, we're talking about sort of pushing it. So Marcus Scotner, he's your husband, but also um, he's been on this podcast and, and you know, he's um, an ultra runner as well. Does, does uh, and, and one of the things that I've also realised is that everybody I've spoken to about ultra runner takes a very different approach to training. Um, yeah. So you're you're pretty laid back, would it be fair to say? <laughs> yeah, I would say that. I mean, Marcus gives me a schedule in that these are your big weeks, these are your recovery weeks, and working back from whatever race I'm going to. So, but for me, that's that structure. Whereas when I look at some other people, where it's really really <laughs> set out for them what they're doing each day, and that's nothing like I have, or I feel like I that would take some of the enjoyment out of it because I mean, I, I'm not like, I like what I used to do. So for the last year I've been training what I'd say consistently. So training yeah. properly, but before that I really was put my trainers on, I'd go, go out the door and I wouldn't really know if I was going to do four miles, 14 miles or oh, really? you know, I really okay. would just do what, what I fancied. Yeah. And it was quite erratic, my mileage. Whereas now I do tend to, yeah, it is a lot more consistent, and I've definitely seen the benefits of that. But I'm not sure I could do it too structured. I kind of look at the start of the week, think, oh, I've got a busy day that day. I probably that I'll have that as my rest day, and mm -hmm. just fit in what I can do around that. Right. Okay. Um. And when you're when you're training, so you don't do do you now set yourself goals and distances, or do you still fairly is it still fairly laissez faire? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I probably, it's more of, sorry, the dog's about to bark. It's okay, it's okay. There he goes. <laughs> We've met your dog before on the, this podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite vocal. Um, 
having me. <laughs> He's putting his tough ends in as well. <laughs> I tend to have certain loops that I do from the house that range from about four miles is my short one mm-hmm. and going up to 10 miles. And it's kind of, I'll pick one of those like in the morning and maybe in the evening as well to do. But yeah, yeah it is a lot of just what do you feel like? <laughs> what could you cope with? And I think that gets me out of the door each time. So maybe if I had to knew I had to do 10 miles, that was on my schedule, I might skip it. Whereas now I, I just drop down and do what I fancy. Fair enough. I mean, is the rest of your life quite scheduled? So you're a lawyer, is that right? Yeah, I'm a human rights lawyer. Um, it's it's sort of scheduled. I'm not sure. I'm trying to get it a bit more organised. But mm-hmm. I do work from home. So you get a lot of flexibility with that. And then maybe three times a week, I'm out at prisons either doing parole board hearings or visiting clients yeah um i did used to do quite a lot in the evenings and i found that i just couldn't keep up with that so i did used to go to yoga and pottery classes and my other things so i've cut down on my evenings um and the focus is really running at the moment right okay and when do you find that running is a bit of a release is it an antithesis to your work or is it just kind of part of your i think yeah, I mean, definitely my long runs in the hills, I just, I just feel like I need to do that to get away from, particularly, and particularly like if I've been working in a prison and you're dealing with abuse, with self-harm, with really violent fences, and it is just therapy to then go out into the hills. But I think what I have struggled with is the work stress. So I have I work a long hours. Mm-hmm. I don't always take, I mean, I, I rarely take evenings off. Yeah. Um, but I, you, I, t- I try and take at least one day off on a weekend. And um, it's sometimes too. So what I was finding was, you know, you've done your day's work, you go out, at maybe I'd go out about five o'clock for a two hour run. And yeah. you just know you've got a pile of work to get back to, and could be working really late that night. So in that times is when I found it hard to get out running and also to enjoy the run so I I did try and just just kind of focus on why I'm doing this training why it's I need to do it not not in terms of the races but just in terms of time off from my desk and to move myself because it's not healthy sitting at my desk for 17 hours a day (laughs) so yeah that was kind of I think that was probably just before Christmas when they were really dark wet cold runs I was doing as well and leaving that warm house knowing you've got all this work to get do when you get back was quite hard yeah. but it's just just really just kind of I think the way I looked at it was well when I'm on my yoga mat I'm not stressing about work because it's got that I just know I need to switch off and be in the present moment so yeah I need to translate that to my running and just enjoy that time out there because it is a privilege it is a privilege to be fit enough to do it and as many injured people or people yeah. for whatever reason can't get out there. And so that's the other thing that I used to do is just remind myself. I mean, there's been times where I can't run. Yeah. And so so it's, it is just a privilege to be out on my doorstep. I've got the Peak District, just go out there for a few hours. Sure. And do you find, I mean, sorry, to, to dwell on this a little bit, because it's probably something that a lot of people come up with this, but I mean, especially ultra athletes who, you know, have got day jobs as well. Do you find... You're, and I'm speaking from experience here, but when you're out running, do you find yourself an opportunity to kind of process part of the day as well? You know, I, I, I kind of find myself 
listing or going through the day and what I've done and I may have work to do it when I get back but hopefully not um do you know I find the beginning of the run I just I'm still in that mode but it's it takes a while to kind of jump out of takes a a good half hour or so is that does it help process your day I think it does maybe distance myself sometimes from what I've been dealing with Mm -hmm. day in day out but I I did I never used to run to music um I was kind of against it oh it's the countryside the sounds are amazing and I know that Marcus is still like that I don't need music but Mm -hmm. for me it was actually just helpful to switch off to shut up that stress because if I start trying to process work about and go through I mean sometimes in the morning it can be quite productive well this is what I need to do first and when I get back I'm going to do this Mm -hmm. um but a lot of the time I I find it the opposite in that I just start stressing and then you think why am I out here when I could be getting this work done so yeah music is now something that I do not every single run Mm -hmm. and not every long run but my day-to-day loops that I do from my house I tend to be listening to musical podcasts as well when I'm out yeah so what's on the Jen Scottney uh, playlist (laughs) a lot of old hip-hop from my (laughs) teenage years (laughs) yeah there's a lot of that (laughs) good hands down the best thing to run to I would agree with that (laughs) um okay so I mean just kind of rolling back a little bit um so you were you were you were playing football and you were you're, so you've always been quite sporty. You, you know, you've always been out. When, when was the first time that you went for a run for the sake of going for a run? I used to have because my parents, even though I've went to university in like Leeds, I've Manchester, I've lived in London. Mm-hmm. My parents were always based in the Peak District, to my, the house where I grew up, and it became a bit of a tradition. I think it at christmas yeah <laughs> to, to escape on, on christmas day. day i do that one and it's, <laughs> it's this loop that my dad used to my dad used to do a lot of fell running and it was his one of his training loops so it was up this really big hill opposite their house um along the top and down and i in my head i thought this run was about five or six miles but obviously back then i didn't have a watch you didn't record your runs or at mm-hmm. all so when i redid this run a few years ago at my mum's with my watch on and put it on Strava I was quite disappointed to find out I think it's less than three miles oh, this no. <laughs> there is a fair bit of a scent in it so that I guess was r- my run I, I'm trying to think I don't remember running much at all at university for the sake of running I did cycle a lot I still have my mountain bike and that was my mode of transport so I kind of think nothing of you know cycling across the city out to my football training do that and then cycle back so um I I guess I was still fairly fit at university but then when and I did try and commute on my bike when I'd started in London but carrying boxes of files just is impossible (laughs) so I was like wobbling around the street and thinking no I can't do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then and so it was just those odd occasions at my mum and dad's. And then I started more walking with an ex-partner um, mm-hmm. who wasn't into running at all. And then that's kind of how I started getting back a bit of my fitness after this big gap in my 20s where I wasn't playing anything, any sports or doing anything. Right. And um, when was your first competitive race? When did you... 
I, I think I think maybe probably quite a lot of people who listen to this do the training and maybe you know enter a, a I don't know a ten k or a marathon or a mountain marathon or, or whatever. But sort of, I, well, I guess when was the first competitive race and when was the first time you felt as though you could compete? Well, the first I think the first race. Thing maybe it would be a f- local fell race. Mm-hmm. I probably at the end of 2014, maybe right. 13. I can't remember. So, yeah, I I joined Dark Peak Fell Running Club, but was too scared to go to any of their training or anything <laughs> like that. I like the ether for the club. Like my dad had run with. Right. The, I don't know if he was actually officially a member, but he definitely had friends that were in that. Um, running club and it's my local one so okay. and I like the ethos because they're quite quirky they're quite just out for long days over the yeah. bogs and <laughs> up in the peak so yeah I'm quite lucky that around here most villages have their fell race and I, yeah. I think I did the leg it round Lathkill which is actually seven miles it's one of the longer fell races and it's a bit more traily rather than I mean there's a couple of ascents in it yeah um, so I did that and that was actually really hard for me it seems stupid to say this now but to put on my vest Mm -hmm. which I'd had to go to somebody's house to buy which again was out I was so shy yeah and just didn't really have any confidence and I just turned up on my own and it was that when I think you pay a fiver to enter get your number go back and put your stuff in the car and at that point I did think I might just drive home yeah okay but I went um I did it and I think that because I was wearing my vest at the end I had dark peak members cheering me and I spoke to this who I now am friends with Fliss she was really friendly and just mm-hmm. it wasn't anywhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be <laughs> right but making that first step it's like the first day at school step. but you feel as you have to prove that, yourself even more yeah I think and um like one of the things that I did really struggle with in those early days was running with people I just thought I would be too slow and I see that now when I suggest to people perhaps off Twitter there was some women there that are like oh, i'd love to come come to the peaches and i'm like well come for a run and they're like oh no i'm too slow <laughs> like, you're not you're not at all <laughs> you know i really let's just go out it's fine but i know that i used to be like that right. really scared of running with anybody because you thought you were too slow it turns out you're not slow. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so you so you presumably then you did a couple more of these fell races um when did you realise that you were pretty good at this? Well, I, I wasn't that good. At, well, I mean, I was kind of middle, I think, and the, because fell racing is really competitive around here. And right. I think I I did seem to do okay. I felt better. Maybe it's because I was doing the football and so could do – I call that my speed work. Right. That was like my sprinting. <laughs> but then what actually happened was – I think by that point I'd met Marcus and so I was I suppose he's more well known he's fast yeah yeah (laughs) and I suddenly started questioning this I kind of lost my confidence and by that point I was running with my dog which was slow we'd stop a lot for him he wasn't really interested in it so I wasn't doing proper training I stopped playing football and I was actually getting a bit slower at these bell races so That's when I entered, and around that time is when I entered my first ultra, so I didn't do anything in the middle. I went straight from the short fell races to entering a 30-mile race. Of course you would, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, 
Yeah. Yeah. So. Do, so sorry, just on that. Do, do you? And again, I can empathise slightly, but do, do you? Are, are you the sort of person who just kind of put throws two feet into everything? I you, guess. Yeah, I guess I kind of do have that. Well, if I think too much, I'll probably think of all the reasons why I shouldn't do this, yeah. even though I know that it's something I want to do. So what I tend to do is enter it and then just or agree to something, yeah. whether that's work, something like doing a presentation or something at lectures, and then just think, well, I'll work out how to do it nearer the time. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's just having that first, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, and once you put it on Twitter, that's it. It's set, <laughs> oh, no, in, well, set have, in stone. <laughs> I have a reputation of, it's called doing a gen, which is basically entering a really stupid race and then wondering how you tell people. So you, I didn't, there's been races where I haven't even told Marcus. So I think like my first 12 hour race, yeah. he was up doing some, like helping out at the fling race up in Scotland. So I knew mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be here. Yeah. So I probably don't need to tell him. And then I realised that he'd be back while I was still running. So I think a few days before, I was like, oh, by the way, um, I'm doing a 12-hour race. <laughs> um, and how did you, pre- I, I fear what the answer is going to be, but how did you prepare, prepare for the 12-hour race? Well, I just rocked up, really. I'd, I thought you I'd might say that. Box, box with some food in to put by the side. And that was my first one where I was, yeah, I was kind of self-sufficient for that long. Mm-hmm. Um so obviously I drove myself there, I drove myself back, but I think I did come forth at that one. So that was that was my first sort of realisation that I only have one speed, which isn't very impressive in fell races, but I can keep that up for a long time. So right. the longer I make the races, the better I do. Right. <laughs> so rather than coming like, sort of, you know, I wasn't doing well at fell races at that point. So um, I think I'd done like, maybe I used to do the Howarth Hobble a few times. That's one of my favourite Right. 30 mile race and then you'd be kind of middle and then but the longer I made it the better I did everyone else just kept dropping off and you were oh, hang on I think a minute that's it. and I'm quite quite good at not stopping and not faffing because I well maybe because I never have any supporters there because I do it all myself so it's right. just yeah take a bit of food from your box and then carry on right. <laughs> brilliant brilliant and, and then when did you when did you figure that you needed to have a more structured approach to training <laughs> a slightly more structured approach to training <laughs> yeah no I, in my head it's really structured <laughs> I think, yeah i'm I not mean, sure everyone would agree <laughs> maybe not, not least for your husband <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am um, so last year well no, the year before i had been due to do the spine challenger race which is 108 miles along the pennine way yeah. in winter Again, my training, I mean, I'd popped up and done some 30-mile training records and then not much else. So that wasn't structured. But in the end, because I was running with my dog, it had actually caused me to be a bit lopsided running and it put, put all my weight down one knee. So hmm. I, um, I eventually I'd injured myself. I'd torn my meniscus in that knee. Right. Um, so I pulled out of that race. And then the next year... Um, I'd got another place on the Spine Challenger. And at that point, I was kind of, I think, you know, Montaigne were really helping me out there and asking me to do vlogs. So I thought, well, actually, I better train because otherwise I'm not going to have anything to put in my vlogs. But it kind of then became, it's not just about me. You know, other people are investing their time, like Marcus Mm -hmm. and um, Montaigne and, and maybe, 
be a, I should just just see what happens. Right. Did you feel as though <laughs> it was a I bit was too like, much pressure? And then I started training and and I'd be like, <laughs> suddenly runs would get easier, I'd get a bit faster, and it was like I'd invented training. I'd be saying, <laughs> <laughs> was it a moment of like, oh my gosh? <laughs> I look it actually gets a lot easier and he's like yes (laughs) fantastic um but so that was quite recently yeah that I'd say that was all like middle of August last year I started training and I I had no idea what that was I think you get a bit of a skewed idea when um when your husband runs for GB and a lot of your friends do so actually I kind of just thought right I'll I'll do 50 miles a week and then I'll do 60 miles <laughs> so right. it was quite it was quite a jump up but because I think I'm doing quite low intensity I've got Marcus helping me I've got him treating me if I have you know anything tight or niggles mm-hmm. I found that my body could actually cope with that training right okay um and what about um nutrition is that something that you have a is that something you consider more? Maybe uh, maybe you always have done. Because yeah, you, you're vegan, be is that you're vegan? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm vegan, but that's for animal welfare reasons rather right. than health ones. I, okay. I actually found that when I had my meniscus tear, that was when I started looking more at nutrition. Just because when you're training and just constantly hungry and constantly need the calories, you really can get away with eating so much rubbish. Right, and then <laughs> I mean, when all of a sudden I'm, you couldn't run it off. Yeah, and it was kind of actually, is that a healthy relationship with food? Um, so when I was injured, I did use the time that I had to really try and eat, just yeah, cut out all the processed post-run snacks that you can easily eat without thinking, and sure. try and keep it how I want to eat, so quite balanced and low, mostly vegetables. Yeah. Um, Okay, and what about things like strength and conditioning? That was already placed, really, when I did my training. Right, okay. And what about strength and conditioning and and those kind of other aspects to training that, you know... Yeah, that's been a big part of it, and again, thanks to Marcus. So he gave me this... It's just a little 10-minute routine I can do before bed, and it's just a combination of sort of bridge of single leg raises and clams, things like that, and... I mean, it was, I did start doing that every night um, and I noticed a massive difference. So when I'd been on long runs before, maybe when I was getting to about 15 miles, yeah. I might, my legs, I might feel it in my legs and take some paracetamol. And then I suddenly realised that actually I don't need paracetamol at all when I'm running because I, I, I put, I mean, I was training a lot more as well, but I yeah. put a lot of that down to strength and conditioning. Right. So even when I was doing like one of my races 190 miles I'm not actually I didn't have any like no pain in my legs apart from a bit on my ankle um but in terms of like my abductors my hip flexors which before I could have felt at the end of a 30 mile trip there was yeah. nothing there it wow. really yeah and, and and do you think this is down to this sort of 10 minute routine yeah I think, yeah, I wow. think it is I mean because also yeah my when I started training, what I did lose was a lot of my flexibility in my legs, which I'd taken for granted when I was doing yoga. So, sure. you know, splits just seem like some <laughs> <laughs> dream from years and years ago because my hamstrings are so tight now. So I'd actually, without realising, like now I look back, when I was doing my yoga, I'd avoided a lot of the things that probably would have been good for me just because I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> so, right. 
Um, I'm trying to focus more on that in my yoga and kind of do what's the challenging ones rather than everything that I can do. Okay, well, that was my next question. Do you still keep up your yoga? Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing for me. That, That came about because really due to my work stress and it was just taking that time to for myself it just I notice if I haven't done any yoga or meditation as well for a week or so it really affects me right and 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 the 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 meditation as well so do you you kind of focus on that that work that well-being is is that again is that kind of work life or and, and and how does that translate into your training and to your running do you think it yeah do you see them separate well at first I did yeah it was it was kind of nothing to do with my running but like I say when I started that work stress really started creeping into my running and I was like actually I'm not enjoying forcing myself out the door for this it does feel forced and it is just thinking back to that meditation I I used to go to these Buddhist classes and there was (laughs) Chada that used to run them he was like at one point was the like the other pains in your head so (laughs) this is kind of a phrase that me and Marcus had um, have kind of joked about is that it's there's no such thing as pain. <laughs> not sure that is true. <laughs> it is just that the pain is in my head. The pain is in my head, right. <laughs> and um, it helps you kind. Of, I think, but I what I do think it helps me, and maybe not with the physical running, but just the staying positive in ultras. I tend to have a really good time when I'm running, even if it's a really long one. I just. And I think meditation helps you with that. Like it, it makes you understand how powerful your mind is and you really are in control of whether you're having the best time of your life or the worst time. Right. Do, do you do you see that in other people who are running ultras as well? I see it when, it, yeah. I mean, I think uh, when sometimes I've read people's blogs of a race that I've done and it, they've had this horrendous time and it's, you just think it wasn't that bad <laughs> you know like yeah. we had really good weather really like the spine challenge we were really lucky with the weather for the first 24 hours and you think well if you can't be happy with that then yeah you really could improve <laughs> right because i think it's so it's just so powerful yeah and so, I, I think that sort of i mean I, i've only done a, a couple of marathons really in my life in the the arm um wouldn't, I found the arm hard actually, but the what I didn't expect from my first sort of marathon was how the unbridled joy that you get from it. I expected it to be horrible. You read all these things that oh you cramp up at this and you'll this will go wrong and da 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 da. I didn't expect it to be fun and <laughs> I didn't expect to feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's the answer is have really low expectations. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's so. <laughs> I guess so. But I mean, okay, so we, we've got onto the spine race. The spine race was the first very long race that you've done. Was that the, your first? Yeah. The first ultra? Yeah, that was my, that was my first. Oh, it was just really the, the distance. So that was before then, I think I'd done sort of up to 100k. Right. Um, and Fair bit still, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but I suppose the difference was that it was, I was, it was um, going through a, a night and I didn't know how I'd cope with that. So everything else I'd done, well, the longest would be 12 hours. Sure. So it was going through the night and just a lot in the dark. Yeah. And 
carrying quite a heavy pack, much heavier than I would have. I mean, I had ideas that I would be packing my full kit and training with it for months, but I didn't do any of that. That was all just put in a bag the night before. Right, okay. Good. <laughs> when I put it on, I was like, oh, this is quite heavy, really. <laughs> it's the gen way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that was my first one where I was... And I suppose I trained, I put myself out there, like I'd actually told people I was doing this race. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you put it on Twitter, that was it, yeah. Exactly, like normally on Twitter, maybe I'll put, you know, a picture of my breakfast at five o'clock, like most runners, and say, oh, I'm doing this, and everybody like, oh, what race are you doing? On the day, whereas this mm-hmm. one, people knew, and I, I felt there was a bit more of an expectation in terms of that. But I suppose I didn't really feel any, because you didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do, so I didn't feel loads of pressure with that one okay and okay so kind of walk walk me through the race you there there was there was a lot of unknowns in there really kind of running through the night and I guess with the heavier pack and the distance was longer how did you and and again I I think I may know what you're going to say but how did you prepare yourself mentally for the for the unexpected did you just kind of just I imagine you just rocked up and just did it is that right? That's, yeah, that's kind of what happened because yeah. the the week before, <laughs> so I'd done all my training and that had gone really, really well. I'd kind of, I suppose, but the first the first time I'd trained and I felt tired on runs and at one point I was like, this isn't working, you know. After, after the initial improvement, I then had some real slog of runs and it was, but then you'd have some really good ones. So I was like trusting in that and got to Christmas which is when I started my taper yeah and then work stress took over so actually the week before like even the day before the race I was working till kind of I don't know probably past midnight just just trying to get stuff done and in the end just just meet deadlines with work and so in the end it was kind of actually I was at the point where I thought I don't even care about this race (laughs) because I knew I knew the day after I had a parole board hearing so I I hadn't got any time to recover or off work um so it it took the focus off the race maybe it was a good thing although perhaps I could have done with a bit less work stress so it did feel like I did just kind of Marcus helped me get my kit together because I hadn't even sorted that out um and I had I hadn't got time to go to the supermarket to get my food sorted so again I just sent Marcus off with a list of that blessing right. and I was like he was unwrapping Starburst sweets for me <laughs> and I was really lucky to have him to do that because otherwise I don't know how I'd have coped but right. yes it wasn't the best preparation for that yeah. <laughs> but then I but the weather forecast was good yeah and I kind of I mean I knew the route I'd wrecked the route I know most okay. you know a lot of it anyway yeah and it's kind of like what's the worst that can happen I'm fairly confident that I can look after myself that I can get through stuff mm-hmm. so when you talk about looking after yourself in, in what kind of way I, I I'm quite used to long runs on my own I know yeah. what kit I need I know how to keep myself warm I'm not too you know I, I was training up on kinder and bleaklo on mm-hmm. complete whiteouts in blizzards on my own i'm perfectly happy with that whereas yeah. i think for some people it is a bit of a step up in terms of trying to navigate and right. um do that sort of race on on their own sure. um so i wasn't yeah i wasn't really too worried about that i think it was the main most thing that my main thing that i wasn't sure about was the sleeping and whether i'd be you know you read about people 
staggering around, falling asleep on their feet and things like that. So yeah. that was my main concern of what what's it going to be like. Mm. But in the end, it was absolutely fine. I, I know now that I can just easily go through one night without any problems. Right. OK. OK. Um, were, there, were there any moments... Or would, I mean, the, on the, on this race and, and and the other kind of long distance races that you've done, where the, what, how how sort of low were the low bits, or do you, I, I, I can't imagine that. you just sort of gleefully running through twenty four <laughs> hours. There must have been some bits where you thought, oh, this is rubbish. No, I mean, I did. <laughs> the only thing, the thing that I think we found the secret to your success. I mean I I suppose I don't maybe it's because I don't take it too seriously I try and take it seriously in terms of my training and I'll do do my best but in terms of everything that's going on in the world me running along a path seems quite insignificant so I don't get too low about it yeah 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 I don't know maybe that comes maybe that it comes from dealing with such serious incidents like every day in my job yeah that actually the, that is really important and me running isn't but yeah. I had the point where it was uh, well in the spine challenger I'd done all my training we'd had such a bad winter mm-hmm. and the bogs were really boggy which I like but you are every time you step in them you're getting an ice bath so one thing that I picked up from runners in my club was that neoprene socks with the way forward so they don't keep your feet dry but they keep them warm right. and I trained with neoprene socks and they were brilliant for that just staying warm just a lot more comfortable in the wet and so I'd done all my training in them and decided to wear them for the race but mm-hmm. and they were fine for sort of 50 miles but after that the ground really had dried up in the last few weeks before the race and and it just wasn't wet enough to need them. So I was coming down from Top Withens and um, I, t- I started running and I just felt all these blisters popping right. in my feet. It's like, hmm, I hadn't really noticed those. And so I thought, well, maybe it's just in my head. Carry on. And no, it just got so, the, my blisters were so bad that my feet just felt like, it was just like walking on hot coals. Yeah. And they were like pins and needles. So there's a bit of me going, mm, am I going to do more damage carrying on? But I, I got through another sort of 20 miles and then I took off the neoprene socks. Now, at that point, we were supposed to carry spare socks and I did have spare socks. But to make my pack lighter, I'd pack some kind of little silk, you know, not running socks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and um so there wasn't really anything I could do and I kind of thought if I sit and take my sock off I they could look bad and that might not help so I just kind of carried on but I know that slowed me down a lot so that was kind of it was more frustrating I'd say rather than a big low point is just not being able to run because of the blisters in the last bit right And, and where did you finish then overall overall I was third then I think it was about joint 16th overall third female so that I mean I was really surprised because I felt like I was so slow and I was really walking the last last few bits so um I would quite like to go back and see if I can do that a bit faster a bit more and I I mean at one point I stopped I wasn't going to stop at Horton because it's not it's only I can't remember it's like about 12 miles Mm -hmm. from the end but my sister had come with my little two nephews and Marcus was there and so (laughs) You felt obliged. You forget you're in a race, you start chatting to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was kind of like, actually, I could be a bit more focused in that race. But okay. it, was, again, it was that unknown. So it was, it was. I think I was just really happy that 
I could get through the night. My legs weren't. I thought I might be in pain after like 50 miles, but there was none of that. So it had gone a lot better than I thought. Yeah. And I think that just made me relax and enjoy it. Yeah, sure. Did you hobble into the parole hearing the next day? Yeah. I mean, there was, oh, the other problem, <laughs> the other thing from that one was I in the last third weather term by the end it was freezing cold and the rain started just at the top on cam end which is a real bleak place i don't think anybody has particularly nice memories of cam end and so i thought right i need to eat because actually i'd kind of got to horton thought oh i'm nearly finished and carried on and not been whereas before up to that point i was like you have to eat every hour i was forcing myself yeah um so i thought right i better eat just grabbed what was in my um pack at the front because i couldn't be bothered to take off my two pairs of gloves and deal with it it was a cliff bar which is uh, hard at the best of times but being frozen up through on yeah. there i bit into it and i my my tooth broke. oh my god <laughs> so i've <laughs> i've got a false front tooth uh-huh. because of that's from when i fell off my bike right so i've just got this false tooth in there but i bit into it and the whole the, the false tooth came away from the oh, plate that held it in that was a bit surreal like ah thinking <laughs> what do I have in my pack that could wedge it in no I'm nothing so I got to the end and Marcus was like there to meet me going Whoa! Like, and I'm like oh I've lost my tooth <laughs> I just had a big gap in my front <laughs> and so yeah then the dentist had said that it's going to be a week before we can get you a replacement oh, so, no. yeah so I was facing going into this prison with swollen feet like yeah. shuffling around and <laughs> no, no front tooth probably even fitted in so i managed to wedge it in but <laughs> i probably shouldn't say this because you really should not be taking chewing gum into prisons but it was the only way i could wedge it in <laughs> just so that i could get through a hearing in front of a judge without, without a gap in my teeth <laughs> oh my word brilliant love it love it love it um, and and so the next race, the um, Northern Traverse, did you approach that in, in a similar way? Did you feel <laughs> as though you needed to a bit more? Yeah, yeah. so no, I'd kind of completely forgotten about it. I'd entered when it entries first opened the year <laughs> before. So I think I'd entered before I started training. So maybe, I can't remember when it was, but I th- yeah, before I started training in August. Entered it and thought, just thought, well, if I if I decide to change, if I change my mind, I can pull out in November and mm-hmm. get my money back. It's fine. Yeah. And so again, I didn't tell Marcus I'd entered <laughs> until some time later, yeah. and I think he was a bit surprised. Um, and because at that point I hadn't run, yeah, more than 100k. So sure. then after the Spine Challenger, I took a few weeks off, and then we had I had the. High Peak Marathon, which is a bit of a quirky race. It's not a marathon, it's 40-something miles. And it's kind of overnight. You're starting in the evening, in win- well, in conditions at the end of February, start of March, yeah. in some of, like, the pathless, boggiest, most bleak place in the, right. in the um, Peak District. So that had been in my mind because I was in a fast team and I was worried that I was the slowest in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did training runs for that and that was really my focus i was getting quite worried about how i'd cope with that because Um, you were running with other people yeah but i was running with like nikki spinks was in my team Uh yeah (laughs) and kirsty who also had the record and then another fast runner so yeah that was taking up my my focus 
Christmas, really. But then that got called off because of the snow just a few days before. We had that piece from the east when it was right. supposed to happen, and it just wouldn't have been safe for the um, marshals to be out, even on the even with a reduced course. So mm-hmm. suddenly, then that had finished, and I had a slight relief. Well, yeah, there was a relief at that, but then I realised that. I mean, I, I was. A slight disappointment because I was actually interested in how far I could push myself because I don't push myself in these races. So the thought of having the likes of Nicky Spinks pushing me along, I would have probably performed better than I thought I could. Yeah, it would have been but, a very different dynamic, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, then it was suddenly Northern Traverse. And I kind of just thought, oh, I'd do the same training as I did for the Spine Challenger and not bother wrecking it. But actually... I couldn't remember. I'd walked the coast to coast years ago and I thought, oh, I'll be fine. But then when I, my friends were doing recce of, of the race and I suddenly realised I didn't remember any of these photos, any of this, this route that he'd show me. Right. I was like, hmm, oh. actually, I would quite like to know a bit more of the route. So I worked There's out- always someone who did a bit more revision than you, for example, <laughs> isn't yeah, there? No, his records were back in like the year before, so he was really organised for it. Whereas, like, <laughs> I've now got two months and I'm trying to recce. 190 miles but I managed to do it right um in three day sections which I wouldn't normally do long back to backs but it was the only way that I could have wrecked it I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do it in out and backs so I'd wrecked it and then so that had gone really well and I felt training wise I was I'd been consistent that was fine yet again it got to the week before the day before and I'm Suddenly, like just throwing random bits of kit and food in bags again. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. I hadn't really prepared that bit, but the training had gone. Right. And how did the race go? I mean, were the was it kind of what you expected, or um, were there um, any I, unexpected bits yeah. that kind of took you by surprise? No, I think. I mean, I was surprised again. I felt like I was going slowly in the second half because when. I'd, the first bit of sleep I had was at Richmond, so that was, yeah, I know I can go through one night's night without any sleep, but the second night when it got dark, I started having quite bad hallucinations, which was okay, but it was slowing me down. I was that doesn't sound, bit... why, do you think, why do you think that was happening? <laughs> Let's dwell here for a second. <laughs> starts off with like your head torch I think it's bouncing off the rocks for me it was just your mind suddenly puts these shadows into faces faces of dogs <laughs> so at one point I had a jack-in-the-box that was a kitten or something like and I knew that that's all they were hallucinations right. and then and then it went a bit so I, I really could once it started getting dark on the second night then I know that that's probably the best time for me to have a sleep but I still had you know 10 or more miles to get to the checkpoint and then I mean at one point it was a real clear night and I was going over these fields um yeah on the way to Richmond and the stars were just so bright and twinkling but Mm -hmm. but then they felt like they were too low in the sky so you start like saying yeah you're really nice stars but can you get back in the sky (laughs) I mean I was on my own thankfully I don't know (laughs) and then were you talking out loud at this point Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I do that anyway. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Okay. I was telling Styles off for being overly confident. <laughs> and then I got really I can't see why these things aren't good for you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got really close to Richmond, and then I just lost this track coming through a field that I had wrecked, but I couldn't get out of the field. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and that's when I just forgot I forgot why I was even in this field I was so tired and I was like looking down at my race like we wore a bib in that race and I was looking down like reading it going oh yeah you must be in a race oh my gosh were you scared at any point or was this kind of it was such a bizarre experience that you yeah no I wasn't scared but I do think that that's that kind of being out on my own at night I'll go and bivy on my own it really maybe that helps I don't know if other people would be a bit more scared in that situation but no I I wasn't scared I mean I was just a bit confused why I was out there yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah so that that, and then so I got into Richmond there was a point as well that you've just got a, a mile of road getting into Richmond and I would just find like my body was just grinding to a halt and you're like trying to jump start it like some old car like come on we've got a little bit longer you can do it and so I got into the checkpoint knowing that I could probably where well, it would make me more efficient if I had a bit of a nap there yeah, yeah. so I took 45 minutes sleep but then when I woke up that's when I got um the top of my ankle there was a bit of a lump and it was just really tender so that slowed me down and again you you know at that point that you you're only just over halfway <laughs> so I know I was a bit I had 75 miles after that point from Richmond I think and you're like okay I'm not really I'm, I can't even run yeah um so that was a bit of a low point but it did and how did you overcome that though I just keep moving. Do you just okay. think right? As long as I'm moving, you're fine. Do you, do you, do you, do you do you kind of take a step back from yourself and just go right? You're, this is how I'm going to deal with this problem. This is, or do you, or is it very kind of work a day? Just keep moving, keep moving. Just keep, keep moving. moving. Okay. Yeah, no, there were times like I, I, I kind of knew as well from my spine challenges that actually I'd done okay in that, even though I was power walking for something. I wasn't running for the whole. 108 miles so I wasn't too as long as I could keep moving I was fine with that I think later on like when it got to the third night it got really really cold up on the North York Moors and I went to get my gloves on and I'd actually dropped one of my gloves without realizing they were just stuffed in my side pocket and then it's kind of like okay you do really have a problem here so I fashioned a glove out of my hat (laughs) like a mitt out of a hat that I wasn't I didn't need because I had had something so then it is like okay don't panic just let's do what we can and and that's when you're talking to yourself like just stay calm (laughs) yeah 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 but also some of the kind of the field craft that you had already and that experience of being out will I guess so and I I know yeah I think it's just also just knowing what works in terms of your kit Mm -hmm. and and how you are in what's going to get cold and things like that is just it's a real advantage yeah sure um and and how did you finish you mean placing wise yeah yeah well yeah. in that one I, so I was second female and and 10th overall <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> oh uh, well as i say i do better the longer they are the better <laughs> <I do. laughs> um so uh world exclusive what have you signed up to that your husband doesn't know about what's coming up uh, <laughs> <laughs> no well the, the next race he's signed up to so that's fine <laughs> right <laughs> and so we're going out to the alps in august and doing ut4m which well this is a bit of a gen thing i suppose because mm. he was like oh he'd been invited out to do it he's like do you want to do it i'm like yeah sure um he's like do you want to do the 100 mile one and at the time that 
that would be my shortest race of the year. So I was like, yep, yeah, yeah I'll do that. That sounds fun. So I agreed to it. Mm-hmm. It's only later that I find out just how much a cent is in yes. this <laughs> <laughs> And And, yeah, so... I mean, he said, oh, it's 11,000 metres. I don't really work in metres when I'm doing it. Yeah, so it's like, abstract, these that's numbers. Fine. Yeah. It doesn't actually sound that long. And then it sort of dawns on me, like, that actually that's more ascent than UTMB. So I'm like, okay, that's quite a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's when you kind of, yeah, see it relative compared to maybe the Bob Graham, which I would have thought would a few years ago, I'd have just thought, never. I'll never have that. I'll never be capable of doing that. And then you think, now, I'm like, well if I can do 36,000 feet of ascent in one yeah. race, then no, maybe it's not out of my capabilities. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the race where I, d- I didn't know what I was signing up for. Right. Right. And when's that? <laughs> that's the end of August. Okay. Okay. And are you doing it together? Well, we're starting together. Okay. <laughs> it's not a team race. <laughs> no, right. no, it's not. Okay. 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 <laughs> Oh, well, um, Jen, it's been absolutely a very entertaining chat. I really appreciate um, appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, I know, I know you're busy and I wish you the best of luck in that race. I'm Thank sure we'll, we'll we'll read all about it on the Montaigne blog. Um, but, yeah, so th- th- thanks so much for your time and a little you're insight welcome. into... I hope it's inspired people to just sign up for things that they know. Well, it, it certainly has. Sure. How are we going to finish? <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think that's the way forward. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. And there we are. Thanks, Jen. I really, really enjoyed that. Entertaining and very inspirational. So thank you. Um, and thank you for listening. My name is Daniel Nielsen. I'll be with you again next month when we go a little bit further up the mountain and talk to a mountaineer. But in the meantime do go back, check out all the other ones that we've done and uh, yeah, listen in.